Spreading faster than a case of the clap in a trailer court. Able to shatter eardrums within a 666 mile radius. A podcast more brutal than all the rest. It's Murder Metal This is Pete Altieri with Murder Metal Mayhem, and I'm doing this interview with filmmaker, author, podcaster, and more, John Borowski. Thanks for taking the time out to do this, John. How's it going up there in Chicago? It's going great. You know, the usual, uh, Chicago's the home of, you know, uh, gangsters, serial killers, and <laughs> politicians. So, right? um, you know, that it's, I'm kind of like in a great place here. So Yeah, you, you got know, job <laughs> security up there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I could be making these films on weirdos for the rest of my life. You know? But thank you, Pete, for having me on. It's always great to be on Murder Metal Mayhem. And, you know, anything I can do for you guys, I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed your book, uh, Dahmer's Confessions. I have, I think, all your books, and you always put a funny inscription in there. And this one you put, Pete, don't look in the fridge or something like that, which was great. Uh, How did that project come about? Uh, You've got quite a few of these books. Uh, Maybe our listeners are more aware of your films and not the books, but this one is really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, Dahmer was, uh, Dahmer's Confession was, I believe, my third book in the series. The first was on H.H. Holmes, and then I followed that up with the Ed Gein file, and I had come across Dahmer's complete interrogation and confession, and I thought, well, you know, this is, would be another great book for researchers, which is what I do. I, I take these original case documents and photographs and maps kind of like what I do with my documentary films, but put it in book form. So they're great, you know, compliments to either my films or, you know, serial killer culture or any other works that are out there. And it's just an easier resource for people to research, you know, rather than, you know, searching all over the entire United States or, you know, trying to go to courtrooms in Milwaukee to find the info. And it came about after the Ed Dean file was published in 2016 and Dahmer's Confession was next in 2017 and you know when I was going about it uh, I knew I had to kind of not only break up the monotony of the confession so I inserted some you know newspaper uh, you know uh, segments and some maps of Dahmer's apartment and some other artwork but you know I made sure at the end I wanted to you know put an art and ephemera gallery you know tying Dahmer into serial killer culture because he's a big part of that you know oh, I'm yeah. in group, you know how that goes you're probably in these groups I'm in groups of Dahmer groups with females now who profess their love for Dahmer that's <laughs> true Literally, they love it they love him he's dead and he was gay but they still want him <laughs> they do well I that's what good, Bob says they're the biggest group that comes through the Dahmer tour is the millennial yes. female Yes, they are, you know, and, and, you know, the females are the largest demographic for true crime, but especially, you know, some of them like Dahmer and I don't, you know, bemoan them. That's great. You know, there's nothing, you know, they can't get anything out of it anyway. I'm a friend with a girl in Australia, 
you know, and she's bought my book, and, you know, I see her posts where, you know, she posts pictures of her kissing Dahmer and stuff, and I'm like, I just think it's cute, you know, he's dead, he's, right. you know, hey, spread the word of true crime, right? Sure. So that's why I included that art gallery at the end of the book by artists such as Nico Clow, Shane Owen, a.k.a. Sam Heen, you know, again, it just, again, illustrates how Dahmer was part of that, is part of that serial killer culture. And the cover of the book, you know, yeah. by Annie Clift, you know, it's that epitome of Dahmer. It's his mugshot and when they're carrying out the barrels. Yeah, I was very iconic. And yeah, I really liked the way you did that. Uh, the whole, all your books are very well put together. They look really good. That was my first experience with you as I ordered the fish book and DVD and I was like wow this is really well put together so your books look really good too they're definitely getting their money's worth thank you you know and again I, I put them out there for people to appreciate them I don't make a ton of money off this stuff you know we're all artists right we're all struggling and, and that's why we help each other you know especially the true crime horror realms and and you know which is a great thing and we all kind of know each other so yeah, I agree. I think it is good to be able to help each other out, especially right now. Now, I found the part of your book by Stephen Giannangelo very fascinating. It's not a long section, but it's a very well-written synopsis of what he kind of thinks about, you know, what made Dahmer do what he did. What do you, how do you look at what, I mean, obviously you put it in your book, but I mean, what do you think about some of the stuff he brought up? Yeah, I, you know, I agree, you know, Steve Giangelo is an expert, you know, in his book, Real Life Monsters, I highly suggest. Oh, it's amazing. Anyone. Isn't it? You know, it I is. mean, I, you know, I, I think I told you read through it and then you read through it again because there's so much to take in, mm -hmm. you know, and um, he, it, the book is phenomenal. It's, it's, you know, my top favorite, you know, true crime book, you know, exploring the psychopathology of serial murderers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I agree with his assessment. You know, I always felt that, you know, Dahmer was lonely in the end. Obviously, you know, that's not an excuse for what he did. Right. But, you know, I think Dahmer, some of these serial killers, if they were pushed in the right direction, like Dahmer could have made a great surgeon. Sure. Think about it. That's right. who wanted to know what the insides of the bodies were like. But beyond that, right. I think he was lonely. His parents took his little brother and left him alone in the house to fend for himself when he was 18 years old. Yeah, Imagine that's that. fucked up. I, I one account I read that the, the two of them were left, but then I do seem to recall reading that they took the younger brother but just left him. So yeah. that is awful. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, you're becoming an adult and, you know, now's the time for you. Okay, I'm going to get a job, maybe go to college, have my parents to support me. And they were like, hey, screw you. You're on your own. <laughs> right. you know, and they right, got but, divorced. That the, you know, All that happened yeah. right as he graduates high school. Yeah, they were both a little loony. You know, I just the other night, a couple nights ago, I watched that recent Oxygen show, Dahmer on Dahmer. Yeah. And, and I had never seen that before. And what I found interesting was... Growing up, Dahmer's mother never touched him, only when she changed his diapers. Oh, and his wow. father, you know, when you when you see his father, his father seems on cloud nine. Like, he was right. probably not even aware of anything that was going on in Dahmer's life, being an right. alcoholic, you know. And now he says, oh, he should have found God and all this stuff. But, you know, you could tell he was out of it. So that way, too, it makes sense. Here's Dahmer 
he doesn't want a human to communicate with because his parents didn't communicate with him. He wants another man just to lay there and do what he wants, but nobody's going to go along with that. Right, right. You know, sure. So when you when you look at his psychopathology in the grand scheme of things with his parents and you know how he grew up, it makes sense. You know, unfortunately. Yeah, but like when you watch that interview, the Stone Phillips interview with the parents That's... individually, of course, they all act they both act like it's the other one you know they neither right. of them of course is going to admit any fault you know of course yeah they finger point you know i know the mother was uh you know had you know uh mental issues she was on you know numerous drugs at the time and when she was when she was actually pregnant with tom or she was yeah. on all these drugs you know so you know in the end we still don't know what causes these things but you know with the help from people like steve gianangelo and some other experts that is a great reason why we should study these serial killers. At the same time, I was watching the Kemper one, which has a lot of, you know, and Kemper is very introspective. Oh, yeah. And that's why, you know, I'm against the death penalty because if we get someone like Kemper or Dahmer who's going to sit down and say, here's why I did, here's why I think I did it, right. here's what I was doing, hey, if we could learn something from that, then, then why kill them? Then we're not going to learn anything from them. Right. I used to be a big proponent of the death penalty until I've, you know, through doing this podcast, we've done some of these, you know, uh, false confession stories and, you know, like that making a murderer, those types of things to put mm -hmm. enough doubt in my mind to go, you know what, if I can't trust the government to, you know, do anything right, why the hell would I give them the choice, you know, the, the opportunity to kill the citizens of this country? So I don't uh, I don't b believe in it anymore. I think it's worse to contend condemn somebody to a life in a jail cell. So I think that, you know, let them rot. And like you said, if we can learn anything, that's great. Yeah, you know, or, you know, someone else will take them out, like in Dahmer's case. You true, know, that, true. You know, and, that's true. And I think, and, you know, I think that's why they sent him to prison, because he obviously had some issues mentally. Right. But they probably sent them there knowing, well, somebody's going to Eventually, him. yeah, they'll get yeah. him. Yeah. That's for sure. Now, the uh, detailed confession of Dahmer is in your book, as you mentioned, and do you think it's rare for serial killers to go into that kind of detail? Because some we've talked about really get graphic and, and almost get off on, on re rehashing it. And others seem to, you know, like Israel Keys or some of these other ones that get kind of cheeky about, you know, holding back detail as a way to, you know, gain favor later. Right, exactly. That's exactly what the issue is. Sometimes they're reliving these crimes by telling them because who else have they told? No one. So they've had this deep hidden secret in them. And sometimes, like in Gacy's case and Dahmer's case and many others, it just comes spilling out right. at first, you know. But then, you know, it's also hard to know the truth from their fantasy world, yeah. which their fantasy world is also sensationalism. You know, right. Well, Henry Lee Lucas would be a great example of oh. that <laughs> to, to hear that guy killed seven, eight hundred people. He's like G de Ray. But yeah, but yet really, when it comes down to it, they think he only killed two or three, you know, but exactly. he, got, he got a bunch of Pall Mall cigarettes and strawberry milkshakes out of the deal. But <laughs> Yeah, totally messed up. Totally yes. messed up. You know, you have that, too. You know, like, for instance, was Panzerham's complete autobiography. 
Murphy truthful? The majority, I believe so. Right. You know, Holmes wrote his, and yet one of Holmes' supposed victims came forward later and said, hey, I'm alive. Oh, that's right. You know? so yeah, or Pee Wee Gaskins is another yes. one who really talked yes. a big game, but, you know, maybe not so much, you know. Right. So I think, you know, they want that sensationalism. They all want to be remembered. And, right. and which is but which is why I'm surprised that Gacy took back his first confessions, you know, and after that he claimed he never did it because he could have been the biggest monster ever. You know, he could have made himself out to be that way for the rest of history. Oh, but then sure. he denied it. Right, right, right. Um, now can you explain the shrine that Dahmer wanted to build in his apartment? You know, we're doing this Dahmer episode and obviously the shrine is part of that, and I thought since you know, you've got the drawings, as you mentioned, of what his apartment, how it was laid out and stuff. And talk a little bit about that and what that whole that was about. There's an excellent piece of artwork by Shane Owen, a.k.a. Sam Hain, which is beautiful. And, and that depicts Dahmer's shrine. And what Dahmer wanted his shrine to be was a long black table with the skulls of his victims on the table, two skeletons on the left and right sides of the table, and a lamp behind the table, a stool would be in front of the table because Dahmer said he wanted to meditate at the shrine. Right. He wanted, you know, when you think of some of these tribal, you know, uh, people, you know, I think, you know, he was kind of, you know, maybe in a past life he was in one of these, uh, you know, tribes of, you know, cannibals or people who would keep the skulls of their victims kind of in reference or, you know, showing that they have power over them, which is what he did to his victims anyways. He ultimately had power over them. Right. And he made this drawing of his vision, which he wanted to do. And that drawing is, you know, somewhere in the illegal office or the court, you know, rooms in Milwaukee. But that drawing was close to him completing it, you know, having kept the skulls of his victims and other body parts. He was he was almost there. Yeah, that's that's just frightening. I know I've seen the sketches before, and it's just creepy to think somebody would actually, you know, like you said, he was on his way of, of being there. Uh, he didn't let him go a little bit longer. He may have had that thing uh, fully set up. It's just frightening to think your next-door neighbor could be doing something like that. Yeah, you know, his. I, I, it was interesting that they, you know, there was a Dahmer and Dahmer and Kemper on Kemper because their necrophilia was very similar. Kemper wanted to keep, you know, kept the heads and parts of his victims right. like Dahmer did. But, you know, I think Kemper's uh, growing up, his childhood was like Gacy's where Gacy had the father, you know, was abusive, whereas Kemper had the mother. True, true. Yeah, it's amazing how many of these serial killers have so many things in common when you look at that kind of stuff. The more of them you start to dig into, they start to, it's almost like you're telling the same story over and over again. But like you said, mother, father can sometimes be interchanged or, you know, the upbringing may be a little more rough in this one than the other. But they all seem to have the head injuries, the being bullied, you know, shy, that just on and on they share so many similarities it's really crazy and you know it's it's not always physical abuse because i think in Dahmer's case it was emotional negligence which is a form of abuse because well, you know sure. your mother you know your mother doesn't want to touch you your father doesn't even pay attention you could be drunk stumbling over opening a body in front of him you would just walk by right right now we've seen other well-known serial killers that have have came out and said that they were gay. Do you feel that that plays a part? 
especially in a time when this was not as socially acceptable of that penned up rage like we we saw in Gacy. I've I've always wondered if there's any correlation between the two. Yeah, I don't I think definitely Gacy exhibited the symptoms of gay repression, keeping that inside of him at the time when he grew up, you know, just think, you know, growing into your teens and, you know, and, and puberty in your teens in the 50s and 60s right. and being gay, you know, as well, 60s later was, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, you know, the love generation, but early six, especially the 50s, that was the worst time to be gay in America. Yeah, and his dad was, his dad was brutal, you know. Yeah, well, imagine hearing that every day from your own father, that they're despicable, nasty, dirty. Right. And then, again, it makes sense that Gacy repressed it, because when he first confessed, I have the original, the first pencil to paper, in my apartment right now of when Gacy gave his confession, when the detective took it down. Wow. I have it right here, and it's going to be in the film. So Gacy says right on that piece of paper, oh, I'm, not bis I'm bisexual, I'm not homosexual. That was very important to him because how society saw homosexuals. And if they found out that he was doing it while he had a business, his whole business would be over. Right. I'm not saying that Gacy killed his victims you know, to cover up you know, being gay, but that played a big part in his repression because think of how he buried his victims. He covered it up, covered them up in the crawl space, just like covering up his being gay. It's sad in the end that at that time period, you couldn't even be himself. Right. Now, you think in Dahmer's case, that played any part? I don't think Dahmer's being gay played a part in it. You know, the 80s, kind of, you know, coming into the early 90s, you know, homosexuality, homosexuality was becoming more accepted, of course. Right. But with, with Dahmer, I don't see that correlation, you know. I mean, he had desires for men when he was younger, you know, that there was that jogger that he was going right. to that. He would see a jogger going down his road, and he had fantasies, because even from the beginning, he wanted to possess these men totally by killing them or knocking them out. He didn't want to, hey, say, hey, you know, hi, jogger, you know, what's going on, you know, but of course, he could have been rebuffed, and, you know, the guy could have got upset because he was gay, but, you know, I really think that ultimately Dahmer wanted control of them, and it was kind of easier for him to, you know, dispense with the pleasantries in a sense, but later on, he refined it, of course. Right, right, right. Very, very interesting. Well, I'm glad I got to get your two cents on this because, like I said, we're doing this Dahmer episode, and I sure appreciate your input. What uh, I know you talked about the Gacy film, John. What else is coming up from you, and, and how can our listeners get a hold of your work, your books, your movies? Uh, what's going on? Yes, I'm currently working on the John Wayne Gacy murders, and that's pretty much evolving into a miniseries, I believe, because oh, wow. I've got, yeah, my current rough cut is about, four or five hours so you know i want to make it similar to the uh last ted bundy documentary series where you know it was a, like a five-part series yeah i'm working on that and then i recently published the john wayne gacy book hunting a predator and also panzeram at leavenworth um and right now it's really you know still filming around chicago we just filmed recently at the lnl tavern where Gacy was uh, appeared in full pogo clown outfit several times, and Dahmer actually sat at the LNL Tavern and would look at Dunkin' Donuts across the street at the young gay men and, and you know, potential victims. Wow, wow. Very, yeah. very and interesting. 
Yeah. And, and people could check out my work. My website is johnborowski.com, just my name. And my films are on Amazon Prime. And also, if they want to go to my store where I have autographed items, it's the same as my website, but it's store.johnborowski.com. Very cool. What about the uh, video show you've been doing, John? How's uh, anybody, uh, you want to tell anybody about that? Yeah, the show is called Crimes of Our Times. It's on the platform of Get Vocal, but I also upload the episodes to my YouTube channel. And, you know, I'm scheduling forward, so you and I will have to talk. We'll have you guys on my show because I'm yeah. scheduling the next round of interviews. It's been great. The reception has been great. You know, we've had Catherine Ramson and Harold Schechter and Jeff Gaither and Nico Clow, you know, all these people that are involved, whether in true crime, oddities, or art. Yeah, that's really cool. I did see you've had a slew of guests on there. That's really awesome. Yeah, and then another project I'm working on, which is very interesting. Again, the artist, Shane Owen, a.k.a. Sam Hain, we're going to do a serial killer coloring book. He's doing all these phenomenal black and nice. white artworks that, oh, you should see some of these. You could go to his Instagram or Facebook and see he's got Gacy and uh, uh, Fred and Rose West. And, oh, cool. You know, yeah, these images, I want to color it. That's how I love these images. Very That's cool. Yeah, we did an adult activity book, and we've got a Joe Matheny, a Ricky Casso, and uh, and nice. another serial killer in ours to color. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, those are fun. I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for doing this, John. We do appreciate it, and uh, best of luck in, uh, in everything you do. Thanks, Pete. Love Murder Metal Mayhem. Thanks, John. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Mother, mother, man.